The Hurling Pod on OTB Sports. I look at the way Kicking celebrate. I look at the way Limerick celebrates a monster, right? To, to go, we actually want to win the next you know, Or the treatment is just another game, another step stone. That's, that's the question I have. Subscribe to the GA Podcast feed on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM. With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. You know, that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance. Probably should have won the game based on the second half performance. Is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup? Maybe not. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head at performances which just lacked that intensity. OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. And every week we're giving away a Gillette Labs shaving kit be with a chance of winning one just let us know who you think should make the performance rankings the best place to enter is on the off the ball Instagram page you'll see the comments box in our story which is put up generally every Sunday night and uh, Nathan you're taking us through the red to the green this morning we're starting in the red and just a couple of other golf things to tie up Uh, the live tour performances over the course of the weekend not great well, we're just uh, bringing you the latest instalment of the worldwide smear campaign mm. against the Live Golf Tour, and they are in the red in the performance rankings. It wasn't a good weekend for the Live Golf Tour players. Uh, Dustin Johnson, the only one inside the top 25. He may well have been the only one inside the top 50. Phil Mickelson finishing up on 11 over par, and nobody really doing anything else that had played in that first tournament in London. Uh, not helped again, I think, by comments from Gray McDowell, who uh, maybe was having a few cold beers on Saturday night, uh, but decided to uh, start responding uh, to a lot of tweets when he was being asked uh, about Live Golf and uh, what's going on there. And he uh, basically implied that, ah, oh, listen, this is, a, this is a smear campaign. Once we get through the smear campaign, all of this will just be fine, which is another remarkable doubling down from Gray McDowell. I cannot believe how he has ended up positioning himself as the voice and as the face of Live Golf and Saudi Arabian investment in golf. But he is all in, all in on this. Uh, So uh, another interesting part was when he was sort of referring to it's only going to get bigger and stronger, and it is. And while Live uh, Golf may well be in the red right now, I think the high of the last couple of weeks of golf of McElroy at the Canadian Open, of Fitzpatrick last night at the US Open, I don't think it'll bother Live Golf too much because all the rumours are that over the next two weeks we're going to have basically a day-by-day drip feed of superstars moving to the Live Golf Tour. Uh, Abraham Anser, uh, the Mexican player who is a top 30 in the world player, uh, due to be announced today that he's going, there's a huge amount of speculation around Colomar Kawa. Now, it seems to be based off one interview where he was somewhat non-committal, but it was done on the week of the US Open, and it may well have been just more, I don't want to be distracted by this sort of thing right now. Uh, but there's a lot more players going to end up playing in the first tournament in Portland, Oregon, uh, the week after next. And we could end up with somewhere 18 of the world's top 50. And then you have a proper divide in golf and you don't get many tournaments uh, like you got at the US Open. So on the course, I think a bad week for Live Golf. And right now, when they're playing a very shortened schedule of, what, eight tournaments, I think that'll change as they get more players. I think they, you know, they have the funds to extend this to 14, 20 tournaments, whatever they need. Uh, but are these golfers, you know, are they going to be coming into these events in peak condition if they're not playing against the best players in the world. But what Live Golf will say is, well, we're going to have the very best players in the world soon. 
Uh, Dublin's Fair City has been in touch to say, since golf has gone behind the Sky paywall, I'm sure many people have lost all interest in the game. So there's, like, taking that point into account is kind of like um, the floating voter view of golf and I guess the, the, the fact that there may not be a, a whole pile of people who can still be attracted to the game does what happened at the weekend change your perception of how successful if golf will be does it like recapture the soul of, of those people who are who are kind of on the fence about uh, golf in all its forms thinking that you know we can get entertainment week in week out on a Sunday night when we have players of Fitzpatrick's quality and Zalatoris' quality going toe to toe I think maybe we underestimate how good golf can be at the top professional level and quickly forget about the drama that it brings you on a on a Sunday night but I don't think what happened last night will make any difference to the Live Golf Tour and their plans and how it will develop like, everybody was on this massive high last Sunday night when McElroy won the Canadian Open against Justin Thomas and Tony Finau the PGA Tour couldn't have dreamt it up and then McElroy makes a smart remark about Greg Norman and then this week you back it up with a great US Open we don't know what's going to happen with the Live Tour and the majors, will they be allowed back in next year will they come to some sort of a compromise who knows but like, the Live Golf Tour, they aren't working on emotion here. They're working on hard numbers, and the numbers are just getting bigger and bigger for the best players in the world. So if you are losing an Abraham answer, if you're losing even the likes of Adam Scott, of a, well, Bryson DeChambeau is gone now, Patrick Reed is gone, uh, you know, Brooks Kepka's brother's already playing there. Is Brooks Kepka got a loyalty to the PGA Tour? Brooks Kepka has been one of those who always uh, wanted to play less golf and never had any great interest in the run of the mill golf tournament. So while the PGA Tour is absolutely winning on the emotional stakes, in cold hard cash, they cannot compete with Liv. Yeah, for sure. We'll come back to the golf in just a moment because uh, in the amber is Rory McIlroy. Just one other thing in the red this morning are the cork hurlers. Uh, the angle on this, I guess, is the fact that they, uh, they were beaten on. Well, they, they definitely did lose a game of hurling on Saturday. You think that it's uh, it's all doom and gloom for Cork? Maybe not in the long term, but it does feel as though it's the end of the Kieran Kingston era. He was non-committal after the match. Uh, it was a game they never really looked like winning. They missed a huge amount of chances in the first half. It was a 12 wides in the first half. Uh, how was Pat Horgan not on the pitch? whatever about form anything else you're just thinking an All-Ireland quarter-final uh, what he gives you from the place ball at the very least uh, if he was on one leg you'd have him out there just because you know he's going to be so consistent and you know he's brought on at half time which seems like an admission that they got this wrong but I could not believe it when I saw that Cork starting 15 and he wasn't in there and there seemed to be a few questionable selection decisions obviously after the round robin there was you know it looked like they were dead and buried at one stage in the round robin and we were talking on this show about Kieran Kingston's last game in charge uh, but yeah I think it, they sort of went out with a bit of a whimper going never fully pulled clear so always sort of kept them in it but it just didn't look as though Cork were going to win this what are we 2005 heading towards 20 years uh, or 19, 19, 2005, sorry. Uh, so heading towards 20 years uh, since Cork last won a, a hurling All-Ireland. Um, I think that gets them in the, in the red, doesn't it? Ah, uh, yeah, no, it, it absolutely does. Like, it, it's just, there's always kind of this, this expectation of Cork, which feels, or it has felt in the past, as if it's like beyond what they should be achieving. You know, this idea that Cork have have a right to be not a right but an expectation to be in the winner's enclosure or close to it almost every single year I guess we're reaching a point soon where that expectation is absolutely fair enough when you look at some of the underage success they've had over the last couple of years you'd have to think now next year the year after that if they're not 
like one of one of the top two teams in the country, then there will be questions asked about about that um, talent line and converting underage success into top tier success. Well, it's not easy. Like that is that has been a challenge for many teams in many different codes through the years. It feels as though they also need a philosophy change. That like their scene has been soft. Like, all of the previews that I've heard were, well, if Galway come with a physicality, Cork just won't be able to deal with them. And that's not how you want to be going into championship matches, that they need they need to be able to play a running game, a free-flowing sort of game. And like, that's not going to get you to be one of the top two teams in the country. Like Limerick have both. Like They can play whatever way they want, and nobody is ever going to match them in the physicality stakes. So you know, to be beaten in an All-Ireland quarterfinal, to go from that... Uh, to suddenly becoming one of the top two teams of the country it feels like quite a jump. It'll be interesting to see what they do next, uh, who they look for, do they stay internal. I know a lot of people feel that uh, Eddie Brennan, who's coming up, uh, maybe should be a contender and they should look outside. It doesn't feel as though that's going to happen. Maybe Pat Ryan gets it. Uh, but, yeah, it's going to be a, an interesting winter, no doubt, in Cork. Yeah, like uh, one of the... You talk about the physicality, like one of the, one of the kind of defining images of Saturday is... I mean, Burke's shoulder, uh, like, I mean, there's some of the screaming as to whether or not it was shoulder to shoulder, shoulder to the helmet. There was no real intent. But that, for me, when I saw that, I was like, oh, Jesus, that's like that Galway full back line showing to Cork what they can do. And they'll probably do that in the, in the next round as well. They're probably going to be more physical than most of the people they come up against. And then also you've got that Conor Whelan goal where he manages to just get inside his man, hold him off back of the net. There's a real physicality about Galway which is going to be commended and will probably give them a chance against Limerick and like I think a couple of years ago when we were talking about the teams who were best placed to topple Limerick, I think a lot of people still would have had Galway on there because of the, the players that they have and Cork probably just aren't at that level. The thing is not a whole pile of things would have needed to go different for them in the, in the first half in particular for them to be in a commanding position in that game and like in isolation, Saturday will be a, like a really, really hard one to take for Cork. It's just how deep the questions will actually go over the next little while as to where the problems are for Cork. Because I think it does come back to this idea that Cork, or the feeling is that they should be um, cl- close to the top two every single year. On the other side of things, like I mean, they were both poor enough hurling quarterfinals, I think it's fair to say. But both second halves, I thought anyway, absolutely lit up and the Clare game was just incredible like I think there was a, a real sense of caution like I was chatting to Mick in the office on, on Friday about everybody talking Clare up ahead of this game against Wexford at the weekend and we start talking them up and you look at Wexford I guess coming in on the back of a win Clare coming in on the back of a, an extra time defeat a heartbreaking defeat there was always a chance that they could have got caught a little bit flat footed and it so nearly happened and I just can't make my mind up as to what the narrative is going to be what will the, the truth around Clare B when we get to the All-Ireland semi-final weekend will it be that you know Wexford almost beat them and Wexford wouldn't be considered one of the All-Ireland favourites therefore Clare cannot be considered one of the All-Ireland favourites or is it that Clare were really bad for a lot of the game and still won in a classic second half All-Ireland hurling quarter-final and therefore will absolutely get to a higher level against Kilkenny potentially knock them out and potentially make it to an All-Ireland final one of those two things is not true and it's very, very hard to put your finger on what, what the case is with uh, Clare at the moment. You would have to say, though, that Tony Kelly can't play so bad for 70 minutes again. I know he was brilliant for the last quarter, but for mm. uh, first half of hurling, he, he won't be as bad again. You can definitely point to the, some of the substitutes they brought on, Aaron Shanahan, Shane Meehan, to live wire forwards that'll I- I- inject 
Kilkenny with plenty of worry deep in the second half regardless of how that game is going and personally if I had to guess if I had to take a stab in the dark I would lean towards the Clare team that played against Limerick a couple of times the Clare team that did finish second in Munster the team that some people think are, is the second best team in Munster and I think that's going to be a hell of a semi-final that old cliche of semi-finals are there to be won uh, felt like that with quarterfinals. It didn't look like it was about performance really for any of the four teams. It was just about somehow scrapping away through to an All-Ireland semi-final, having a little bit of break, regather yourself. I was still surprised by just how poor Clare were at times. Uh, we had James O'Connor on the show on Thursday night and you know he sort of predicted exactly what was going to happen. And I was surprised by the sort of doom and gloom and negativity that surrounded Clare because... Yes, there was a heartbreaking element, absolutely, to the manner of the Munster final defeat. But I thought that they got so close to one of the all-time great teams. The confidence that they would take from that and should take from that would actually mean it was a, a quick enough recovery. And they would think, you know, we want, we want Limerick again. We want to face them in All-Ireland final because we know we're not that far off them. But it did seem that maybe mentally they were somewhat crushed by the Munster final defeat and really struggled to get back up. Uh, but... You know, when it really mattered, uh, they came through. They absolutely came through. And now they do have a, a good time to regroup. And it's a long time since they played Kilkenny uh, in a championship clash. But I think on what we've seen from the two so far this year, you would have Clare as favourites going into that semi-final. If Limerick win the other semi-final, I'm pretty happy with whoever comes through the other one because I, I want to see Clare against Limerick again. I think that that'll be... We, we know that that'll be a good All-Ireland turning final because of what they've already shown this year. But I also want to see... Limerick against Kilkenny again and I know I think the neutral observer out there is probably more drawn to Clare I'm not sure if I'm right in that but I kind of like feel that they're uh, a more neutrally attractive team because so many people have seen Kilkenny win so many All-Irelands down through the years but I actually wonder if, if Kilkenny in that final could be just as good a prospect as as Clare versus Limerick because like I mean we go back to 2019 the last time Limerick were beaten it was Kilkenny who undid them it was Brian Cody who did a job on Limerick that day and I just wonder could he do something similar to them again and it'll be very 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 interesting to see how Limerick prepare for Brian Cody again in a knockout championship game of course we're completely riding Galway out of the picture there and and Henry Shefflin but I think that's probably the least likely of the two scenarios to happen for an underdog to win is is Galway knocking Limerick out mm. Yeah, and listen, if Limerick are beaten at any stage this season, it's going to be an enormous shock, it feels, at this stage. Yeah, but a Kilkenny-Galway final would obviously have its uh, massive attractions as well. Would there have ever been a bigger sideshow going into any All-Ireland final uh, <laughs> than Cody and Shefflin? Uh, if somehow they were to end up meeting, uh, I, I think it's highly unlikely, highly unlikely to happen. Uh, yeah, I still think I'd, li- I'd like to see Clare uh, back in the final uh, against Limerick. I just was so impressed with them in that Munster final. I, I kind of thought that... You know, Limerick were, were cruising through Munster and that there wasn't a huge amount to read into the first game, but they backed it up and you know, a Tony Kelly in an All Ireland final with a chance to put in one of the all time great performances and take down this Limerick side would be pretty appetizing. Uh, Dennis Ryan has been in touch to say the standard of goalkeeping in Thurless, Limerick will canter to three in a row. That is definitely an outcome that is realistic that, that Limerick do canter through the last two games, but we're hoping that they're gonna get two wars before they actually have to, to lift three in a row and the centre of the goalkeeping is definitely poor and Saturday that might have been in the red Richard Redball says Wexford Hurling should be in both <laughs> the red sections uh, he's obviously uh, pointed towards more of a, a Wexford collapse than 
a clear comeback, it seems, on Saturday. And Dublin's Fair City has been back in touch to say Tip versus Galway Minor yesterday was the best entertainment on offer. I've seen Shane Brophy, I think it was, saying that it was one of the best minor games he's ever seen. Uh, Compco Productions, meanwhile, says Rory wasn't close all through day three and day four. Too many mistakes, but he will definitely win another major. And that brings us nicely onto the Amber, Nathan. Yeah, I think uh, Amber sums up perfectly where Rory McIlroy is. There was uh, an awful lot to like about his performance over the weekend. But ultimately, it's another major gone that he didn't win when he is in red-hot form. And his attitude seemed to be as good as it's been over the last eight years. And he put himself in a brilliant position heading into the weekend, uh, putting as well as he's ever putted. Uh, His wedge play has massively improved over the past few months. But ultimately, his driving let him down over the weekend. And not just over the weekend. He was constantly scrapping, even on the first couple of days. He was just holding so many putts. It meant that there wasn't as much of a premium on his driving. But you felt if he was to contend over the weekend, he would have to improve off the tee. And his miss left cost him again and again and again, uh, right from the opening tee shot on the third round. And because of that, he just wasn't really a factor. We thought if he sorted that out, that he was putting so well. But all of his putts, and so many of his putts, were for par. Even even going back to Friday and the near calamity when he had the double bogey. like He holds this monster putt for double bogey at that stage. He just wasn't giving himself enough birdie opportunities. And you know the mental strain that that must put on you, where hole after hole... You're having a 15-20 footer uh, for par. Uh, that's difficult to sustain, and you know, quite simply, he couldn't. He couldn't drive it as badly and as poorly as he did yesterday, and really get himself into contention. But I just think there's been such a, a change in his attitude and his his outlook. It feels over the past few weeks, it, he really does seem to be relishing being. Uh, the the guy leading the, the good side of golf right now and uh, being that leader and has taken that in his shoulders and I think it suits him being that player and having the elbows out and taking on Greg Norman and he's going to St Andrews where you know he has mixed emotions you think back to 2010 his one and only open championship appearance at St Andrews shoots 63 in the first round uh, gets these horrible weather conditions on the Friday afternoon ends up shooting 80 in the second round uh, costs him his chance at that uh, open championship doesn't play in 2015 has that accident when he was playing football. So he is going to St. Andrews, feeling he has a point to prove there. And if it's a it's a Lynx championship, it's an open championship, if the wind blows, it can you know, become very difficult and a little bit of lottery. And again, you can end up on the wrong side of the draw. But if the conditions are calm, his driving won't be as big an issue. Like St. Andrews can be wide open in parts, so he can... You know, he can tone it down a little bit. Uh, he'll get away with his misses a little bit more. And if his wedge game and his putting is as good as it is right now in, what are we, less than a month's time, McElroy is going to have an unbelievable opportunity to win that Open Championship at St. Andrews. It seems like the safest money in golf now is to put it on Rory top 10 at a major. Just don't back him to win. Uh, this feels this feels different. And this, this entire year has felt differently. He's contended... In all three majors, he he felt like a factor in this tournament. It, it was a. I felt yesterday was was the first time he'd gone into the final round of a major, probably since 2014, where he didn't really need to shoot a low number to go and win it. 
that now it turned out uh, in hindsight because scoring was a bit better. You know, he shot he shot a sixty nine yesterday. He was he was under par yesterday, but he would have needed what he finished on two hundred. He would have needed a sixty five even to get into a playoff, which was probably never out there for him. But that it was going to be a bit of a scrap, and he was right there, and he just needed to hang tough and not let too many shots get away from him. But the three bogeys on the front nine meant that he just had left himself with way, way too much to do. But, yeah, I, I don't think you can be overly critical of how McElroy played on an incredibly punishing golf course. Uh, you know, he stuck at it. Nobody can question you know, his B game, his ability to grind, that the head drops, the shoulder slump. None of that was there over this weekend. He stuck at it right till the very end. And, you know, I think if he sorts out his driving, like it's remarkable that we're saying if he sorts out his driving. For, like, for a decade, we thought Rory McIlroy was the greatest driver we'd ever seen. Uh, but that just seems to be a little bit off. He just needs to find a way of getting it all to come together on the same week of a major championship. And maybe St. Andrew's 150th Open Championship. Uh, hopefully, for Rory, that'll be the one. Seamus Power, T12, 359,000. Dollars, I think, is is what somebody who finishes 12th gets for the US Open. Uh, it's not bad going. And yeah, Seamus Power, 71, 70, 70, 70. Uh, model of consistency over the four days. And this is what he's doing now. He is a regular in and around the top of leaderboard on PGA Tour events, week on week at major championships. Like, it's such a life-changing 12 months for Seamus Power from a guy who, you know, it's fair to describe as a journeyman. That's what he was. He was scrapping for his card constantly, uh, you know, always in and around that 125th mark when you're going for your tour card for the next year and goes on a run of consistency uh, in the middle of the last summer, gets a victory out of it, secures his card. And there's some players, then they rest. Then they go, finally, I can relax a little bit. And they sort of take their card and they find themselves right back at square one again 18 months later. Uh, Seamus Power has just kicked on the confidence that that has given him uh, the fact that he's not thinking about money he's not thinking about world ranking points every single week just seems to have enabled him to bring his game to a whole other level I haven't seen the world ranking uh, this morning but you know he must be in and around certainly heading for top t- 35 top 30 in the world uh, he's going to be back here next week uh, he's playing in the Irish Open uh, so I'm sure he's going to have a huge crowd Shane Lowry is going to be playing as well no Rory McIlroy at the Irish Open but like power it's going to be such a different experience for Seamus Power he hasn't played a huge amount of Irish Opens through the years because he's been based in America and you know he he couldn't afford really to miss out on the tournament the week of the Irish Open like, he is going to have a crowd only Shane Lowry will have a bigger crowd following him than Seamus Power next week so it's going to be a very very special homecoming from Shifty Lad has been in touch to say I want to see Galway versus Kilkenny in the final handshake gate would be a big narrative to that game he's also said morning lads really enjoyed the two games yesterday and on TV having the hill to the right look great as it didn't look as near empty because of the angle Matt Fitz was so good to Love his caddy, Billy Foster, getting a, a lot oh, of love. 40 the, years in the bag, he finally the, gets a major win. I'd say that the, the post-tournament uh, interviews, and they, I, I think they do mean something when they think back to say, Bryson DeChambeau winning and tanking his sponsors uh, as the first thing he did after winning a major championship. Like It's embarrassing. The bottle. This is, not what you, this is not what you dream about. Uh, there were some great interviews with his family, and his dad was almost uh, happier for Billy Foster than he was for his own son yeah. because Billy Foster's caddied for some of the greatest players in the world from Seve Ballesteros to Lee Westwood uh, and never got that major championship and finally got it through Matt Fitzpatrick and there was there was a brilliant moment at the end where uh, Matt Fitzpatrick's brother Alex is a brilliant golfer as well top amateur turning pro uh, not quite I think at the level maybe 
of where Matt is, but you know should go on and have a good career. Where he ran over and he basically gave Matt a tap on the back on the green when they ran on, and he ran straight over to Will Zalatoris to commiserate with him. They both went to college together. I think they played college golf together. But everything about it was just you know classy touches all round uh, from the Fitzpatrick family, and it like the emotion of it was great. Uh, I didn't I didn't know didn't know there was a that side to to Matt Fitzpatrick. So yeah, he looks like someone who's going to go and enjoy those celebrations. Seamus Power is up from forty first in the world to. 36th. So, um, I think it was the start of the year we were obviously talking quite a lot about him getting into the top 50. So, he's really delivered on that and, and rocketed up the standings once again. So, 36 in the world for Seamus Power after his uh, top 12 finish at the weekend level with John Ram at the end of play last night. Big disappointment, actually, of the week, I think, was, was John Ram. Uh, certainly of the final round. Like, remember, 18, he's got a one-shot lead when he's going down 18 on Saturday night. And he, uh, you know, he's too ambitious out of the fairway bunker, hits the lip, comes back in, ends up taking double bogey. So Ram, you thought, shot back. You know, just such a great opportunity to go back-to-back at the US Open and nothing happened from it all yesterday. So you know, Seamus Power finishing on that. Like, Seamus Power's never played at the Open Championship. So he's going there next month to St. Andrews as well. So it's... yeah. It's all good for Seamus Power right now. Let's circle back to what Shifty Lad was saying in the comments there. The Talton Cup, they made a better job of it in television, it felt, than the round four qualifiers the previous week. There was essentially the same amount of people in the ground, but it felt like more of an occasion yesterday. It, it felt there, like that's common green, sense. Like it's, a, it's a trick of the light in many ways, but I flicked on to the first match yesterday and was like, bloody hell, there's a big crowd at this. Uh, but what they simply did was they put pretty much everybody in the Hogan stand on the lower tier. That's all you could see for the vast majority of the TV coverage. Uh, and it felt as though probably having everybody together also created a better atmosphere than a week ago. And yesterday was a, a real success story for the Talchin Cup. Is 16,000 a big crowd? Is it not a big crowd when there's four teams uh, winning? I'm not, I'm not sure it is, but the quality of football... like. So often when we see these teams go to Crow Park, you know, a Westmead, they're playing against Dublin and the players don't get to express themselves at all. They have to set up with a game plan that's ultra defensive, that's just try and, uh, you know, protect themselves. Yet they go out yesterday and the quality of points that they, that they kicked throughout, like they looked, you're looking at Westmead, which is probably what you want from the Talchin Cup, saying, hey, why are these guys in the Talchin Cup? Why are they in this scenario where they're in the Talchin Cup? Because there just seemed to be so much talent there. And the first game, the Cavan Sligo game, was one of the best games I've watched all year in Gaelic football. The attacking football, Cavan scored, almost scored a goal. It was a brilliant save from the keeper in the end, just before halftime. It was the last play before halftime where they went from one end of the pitch to the other, five, six passes. It, it would have been one of the goals of the season if it had gone in. And, yeah, both games were real attacking football. Cavan uh, were you know, much the better side, but just before halftime, uh, Sligo had several goal chances. They hit the crossbar. There was a, a clearance off the line that if they got there, maybe it was a very different game. But this is what you want the Talchin Cup to be, evenly match sides where the skillful players, the attacking players, can do what they're meant to do, what I'm sure they do at club level all the time, why they've got to this stage where they're playing inter-county, where they have this ridiculous talent and we rarely, rarely see it. Again, if you're, if you're Sligo, I know Cavan's a slightly different scenario where they've, you know, they've won a provincial title recently, but you know, how often do we see Sligo players on national TV playing with the freedom that they played with yesterday? Generally, if you see them at all, they're up against Mayo or Galway or Roscommon, where they know they're the underdog, where they might kick 10, 12 points at most during a game. Like for them, it must mm. be just such a game-changer to have matches 
like this. Yeah, and even when it's when you've got those gems of players and those weaker teams, when they're getting hammered, you just don't pay any attention to them. And like I think a lot of people have been very familiar with the Cavan team as a result of what happened in 2020. But I think yesterday was a, a bit of a, an exhibition for for Sligo and and to a lesser degree maybe some some of the, the players playing in the, in the second um, match as well. It's not what it's about. They want to get a trophy. I think Westmead beating Cavan in the the final would be a, a bit of an upset as well. But it should be should be a cracker of a game. Just very finally then. The last in our performance rankings this morning is uh, Dundalk, who have uh, turned this thing on its head to a certain degree, where there's going to be no runaway uh, title winner in the, the League of Ireland Premier Division just yet anyway. Uh, no. Uh, so we had a clash of the top two on Friday night at Oriel Park. Uh, Shamrock Rovers, who went into the game with an eight-point lead over Dundalk. So Rovers win that game. They're 11 points clear at the top. And the title race is pretty much done at a perfect time for Shamrock Rovers because they're starting the European campaign in the next fortnight. They're going to have matches week on week, it seems. So you think they can suddenly rotate their squad whatever way they want. Uh, Dundalk. Get the victory. Robbie Benson, sensational goal. Cross from McCarry. Lou McCarry's grandson playing for Dundalk. Had this brilliant cross on the right-hand side. Robbie Benson smashes it in with a volley. And suddenly Dundalk are five points back with a game in hand. And they are the team with all the momentum. Shamrock Rovers have lost four times in their opening 20 games. They've lost their last two away matches, both of them up in loud against Dundalk and Drogheda. And now they've this very cramped fixture list as well. Whereas Dundalk have won their last five matches. I think they've 22 points out of the last 24 since they were beaten by Shamrock Rovers in Tala. And I remember that night looking at Dundalk and thinking, you know, it's Stephen O'Donnell's first year in charge. There's clearly some signs uh, that they're making progress but they're a long way away like next season the season after maybe then they can compete with Shamrock Rovers but Dundalk don't have European football and can rest players and they have momentum Rovers have Bohemians which is obviously you know, one of the biggest games of the season at what's going to be a sold out Tala on Friday night Dundalk over the next four or five games the fixture list certainly looks quite tempting for them and you know as as good as it is to have a great team in the League of Ireland such as Shamrock Rovers like the best thing for the league and promotion of the league is a title race and you know, it's not that long ago but since Dundalk and Shamrock Rovers there was a proper old rivalry there so if Dundalk can maintain this I think for the league in general it's a good thing uh, but five points behind you know, still a bit of a gap for Shamrock Rovers yeah and uh, Derry City of course drew a draw to United on Friday as well to lose a little bit of pace yeah Derry collapsed pretty much over the last uh, six seven weeks for sure so they're away to UCD on Friday it's Rovers against Bowes as you mentioned on Friday and Dundalk are away to Shells so um, yeah Dundalk in the green this morning and that concludes this morning's Gillette Labs performance rankings OTBAM's performance rankings with Gillette OTBAM with Gillette Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.